Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you doing, my friends? I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving and survived Black Friday. I'm surviving it in my PJs right now as we speak. And I got to spend a nice time with my family yesterday and slept in late today, so I'm feeling great this morning. And I'm going to go see some music with some friends tonight, one of whom is my friend's 21-year-old daughter, who is the oldest of the babies I've treated. Obviously not a baby anymore. Her, her mom and dad happen to be very close friends of mine from college, and I got to work with them through their pregnancy with her. And now we're going to go see music together tonight. Life is pretty amazing like that sometimes. I'm feeling, feeling very thankful for for friends like these. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our health. And it is my hope that through the content and conversations you'll get here, that you'll be more empowered and engaged, not just in your own personal well-being, but also in the communities you live in. Leah Martinson of Speakeasy is my guest for today's show. And she's the director of an amazing project that I believe could simplify access to mental health care. She'll be up in just a moment. But first, I have to ask, do you feel like this podcast has been a valuable resource in your life? Have you been influenced, inspired, or informed by this podcast in any way? If so, have you become a supporter of our Patreon? If you have, I'm incredibly grateful for you today. Your dollars are helping us give life to this project, and I promise to keep improving and bringing you more quality content. But if you haven't and have been meaning to, just go over to patreon.com forward slash highway to health, or you can click the support link in our show notes on on your app that you're listening to this podcast on. You you can become a supporter for this project today for as little as $1 a month. And if you find that you listen to the show every week, $5 to $10 a month ensures that we can keep delivering these episodes weekly. And remember, I want I want this to be your podcast. So if there's a guest that you'd like to hear me have a conversation with here, you can contact me directly through the contact form on our website. It's highwaytohealthpodcast.com, where you can listen to all of our 55 episodes uh, for free. And if you're looking for more daily inspiration, check out our Instagram and Facebook pages for Highway to Health Podcast. Also, this might be an important episode for you to share with any friends or family that you know uh, who might struggle during the holiday season. You can be a care provider yourself here with one click by sending it to someone you love and letting them know that you're thinking of them and that this episode might have some valuable resource for them. So my guest for today's show is Leah Martinson. She's the director of health coaching at Speakeasy Care. Uh, I learned so much from this episode, especially about the growing field of health coaching, which as you're about to hear is fast becoming one of the most important frontline fields of healthcare. Speakeasy's model, I believe, is the future of how we will start to deliver mental health and emotional health care, especially in in times of crisis. Speakeasy provides walk-in support to resource the moment that you're struggling. They take away the barriers of scheduling, paperwork, and insurance, allowing you to talk to a professional uh, at an affordable rate right now. No waiting, confidentially, and with online booking. It's a safe place uh, for you to go when you feel like your life is a mess. You can get it all out, the good, the bad, the ugly. You come in with a burden and leave feeling lighter and less stressed and able to move forward. And Leah shares with us here how this model was created and shares her own story, which I think is an incredibly inspiring one, having dealt with a progressive health challenge since she was five years old. And it reminds me once again that it is our challenges that become our greatest source of strength. This is a, a, an important one, I think, to, to, to pay attention to. And, and to imagine how, how things could be a lot different in our world if we had access to something like this. Please enjoy my conversation with Leah Martinson. 
tell me, tell me how you got into this field because you have a background. You were a, you you were a body worker like me at one point, right? Yes, yeah. So I the way I came into health coaching was kind of a long journey. Um, I started the coaching program in 2011, so I would have been 31 when okay. I started. So it was a little bit later in life. Um, but yeah, I, right after high school, I did like a year at a community college cause I didn't really know what yeah. I wanted to do. And then I went straight from there to massage school and started doing body work. But right after massage school, I went directly to the U of M to do an undergrad in psychology. Where did you, where did you do your massage schooling? Minneapolis school of massage and body oh, yeah, work. Yeah. It's not there anymore. I know. I looked into it when I was, when I was looking back in the day. <clears throat> yeah. I was it, you know, it was a decent education. I feel like I learned a lot more just through workshops and additional training that I've done over the years. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Not that the original training wasn't useful, definitely gave me a starting point, but there's yeah. always there's just so much to learn when yeah. you're working with human bodies. Oh yeah, so, for sure. Um, I knew right away that massage wasn't going to be the the last thing for me. I knew I really liked it. I really loved working with people and I especially Loved the um, positive results when people felt better afterwards. Yeah. And just building those relationships with people and being a safe place for people. Yeah, me too. But I knew that it wasn't it, that there was something else out there for me that I was calling me. I just wasn't sure what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always knew that it was something in the helping or healing profession. And so I just did an undergrad psychology because why not? Yeah, yeah. I knew that it would probably mean, con- you know, continued education or grad school at some point, um, but it was a starting point. So I finished that, and then I um, moved out to Boulder, Colorado, to do a master's degree in somatic counseling psychology at Naropa University. Oh yeah, I've had another person on the podcast. Yeah, uh, a psych I person. never went. <laughs> oh, you never went. <laughs> I never went. Oh. I moved. I moved to Boulder. Really? Hung out in Boulder for a little over a year, um, but I didn't end up pursuing the program. And I'll, when I tell a little bit more about my personal story, kind of the reason I didn't go will, uh, yeah. will unfold, but it just ended up not being the right thing at the right time. Okay. And I just had some personal work to do. Yeah. And so when I was in Boulder, I worked in hospice and did massage and just kind of did some growing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was out there for a little over a year and then I came back to Minnesota because my family's here and mm-hmm. I'm really close to my family and... Um, when you're doing really hard personal growth work, it's a lot harder when you're feeling kind of alone. You oh, know, I yeah. made a lot of friends. I got yeah. connected into a good community in Boulder, but it's just different yeah. than your family yeah. or the friends that you grew up with. And so I came home and continued the search for what what am I going to do when I grow up? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually started the Masters of Social Work at the U of M. I did a year and I just, it wasn't connecting. It didn't feel like... Um, it just, I didn't feel really passionate about it. I could see how it could be really good and true work. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also see how it could get really, really hard and draining. Yeah. And I didn't want that for my career. Um, and I still have friends that went through the program. We, we get together twice a month and we have a professional support group. And they're just, they're my angels. I think people who are in the social work profession are incredible. Yeah. And I also know that it's not for me. Yeah. So I didn't finish. <laughs> I had a lot of stops and starts along my path. Um, this whole time as I was kind of searching for what I wanted to do when I grew up, I um, 
found this health coaching program at the University of Minnesota through the Center for Spirituality and Healing um, because I did some classes in my undergrad just as electives through the Center for Spirituality and Healing. And I think the first time I read about it was 2006, and that was the first year that that program was offered. And for whatever reason, it was just like, "Mm, I don't know. And so I didn't do it. And I think I reread the program four or five more times over the you know next five years. Yeah. And finally in 2011, I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. <laughs> this is wow. happening. I'm going. And I did. And I, you know, at that time, if I'm being honest, I still didn't entirely understand what health coaching was, Yeah, but there was just something about it that called and felt right. And um, when I started the program, it might it just kind of blew up my whole world. It was <laughs> it was way more than I expected, huh. um, and more so in the amount of personal growth and development that happened for me just by going through the program. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, yeah, this might be a good time to kind of do a little blast from the past, a yeah, little yeah. bit of personal story. Because like the things that I got out of the program, it was a lot of healing from things that I had been working on healing for a really long time. And it was just a whole new approach to uh, working through these things. Okay. Um, but I mean, I think the main, the main player, I guess, in my story is that I was born with a progressive eye disease and mm-hmm. diagnosed at the age of five and have been slowly losing my eyesight throughout my life. And so I'm 38 now and I have about 10% of my eyesight left. Okay. And, you know, living with vision loss, it's not, it's not this like horrible thing where I feel the need to have people feel sorry for me or just yeah, this yeah, like, I, I get it. um, bad way of life, but it does make things very different Mm -hmm. and it does make some things really difficult. And there's a lot of experiences that I've had. And I think my, my life has been shaped in many ways by those experiences that are somewhat a result of vision loss. Um, and so it's brought me a lot of gifts and a a different way of interacting with the world and perceiving the world. And there's been things about it that have been really hard. Yeah. You know, in younger years, it was really hard socially. Oh yeah. Um, because it's just, it's hard enough to be 12, 13 years old because you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into this Mm -hmm. world. And then to have something that really sets you apart from your peers. Yeah. Um, where, where were you at that point as far as vision loss? I, that's a good question. I could still read large print. Um, and I could like, if I sat close enough to the whiteboards or the projectors in the classroom, I could, could see it. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> depth perception was really poor. Um, and like some eye-hand coordination things were really difficult. Early on in elementary school, I started receiving services to kind of help me adapt to my vision loss. So I learned mm-hmm. how to read Braille. I was learning how to get around with a cane. They would, the mobility instructor would put a blindfold on me and teach me how to get around with a cane because oh, wow. I would need to know how to do that sometime. Yeah. Yeah. The tough part about that is sometimes we would do it in school. That really made me stick out. And some some kids are mean. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, and I think it was in seventh grade that I was still in regular FIAD class, but it was getting harder and harder to yeah. be able to participate. And there was um, 
we were in volleyball and some girls were like intentionally throwing balls at me. And I ran out of the gym crying. And I think the next day they put me into adaptive FIAD. And that was a tough reality for me to swallow. Yeah. At that age, mm -hmm, too. mm -hmm, That there are just things that will always be different. There's, there are very few things that I can't do, but how I do them is different. And I can be okay with that, but mm-hmm. sometimes the world around me isn't yeah. because they don't understand and it scares them. And so it's, it's, I've taken on the position of wanting to be an, an educator mm-hmm. and help people understand that like re- just different disabilities. I know most about blindness because I am blind, mm-hmm. but um, living with a quote unquote disability or some type of loss of one of your senses or whatever you want to call it doesn't mean that you have less of a quality of life or less of an ability to live a pretty ordinary life. Yeah. You just do it differently. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's, I just had this conversation not too long ago with somebody that I was treating who's been diagnosed with something new that, um, she, she's, not, she hasn't learned yet how to communicate, um, the days that she's struggling with her partner. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I went through multiple, I ended up in my field because I had back pain starting actually as sort of a teenager progressively got worse in my twenties. And now I'm, you know, thankfully mm-hmm. <laughs> much, much healthy, healthier than I've ever been because I had to ended up having to do a lot of work and that work is many layered. <laughs> but, I, but the fact that I, I remember this feeling of, of being able to, not being able to really express that, what I was going through to the people around me. And there's, it's almost impossible for people to, to understand the struggle of this change that's gone on and the, and the, and the day-to-day you know, internal thing that's going on with you. Yes. And so it affects all, like it's, it's affecting all of your relationships, but they're not even as, as aware of it. Right. Well, and even, you know, in my younger years, I didn't know either. I didn't yeah, know the impact too. it yeah. had on yeah. me um, or that some of the emotions that w- I was experiencing were related to losing vision and normal and okay because yeah. it just wasn't really talked about or addressed. Like this was just Leah's losing her eyesight and that's it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, and there was this huge emotional component to it, you know, a lot of grief, a lot of fear, a lot of frustration that I um, didn't know it was okay mm-hmm. to feel it and or talk about it. Yeah. And so I didn't. Um, and I think, you know, I also have a history of depression and anxiety and some other mental health stuff. And I'm sure all of that contributed yeah. to feeling depressed and anxious. Yeah. Um, I started, I think I started seeing a therapist when I was 14 or maybe 15 in that Definitely was helpful, um, but, you know, it was the insurance-based therapy. You can only go once a month or however long, and we did some work, but... Um, and, and, and and so much in mental health care has changed in 20-whatever years yes, that is. Yeah, so, it was different yeah. then. Um, and, and you probably would have gotten more help earlier if, if this happened to you today, I mean, in terms of like mental health work. Possibly. Yeah. It seems, it seems anyway. I mean, that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you about some of this stuff too, because I, I, 
I, I, I still feel like we're, we haven't completely crossed the threshold into like normalizing me- mental right. health work in, in that it's, you know, that it can be just self-work. Someone today actually who came to see me said something about she's going through a, a, something with a, a family member and that it, th- there, was a, there was a choice to take a medication or go see a counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, you know, and in the end, we both sort of said, yeah, both, both is okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in fact, the, you know, then it's about figuring out what, what even more specifically should, should, should you focus on? If, is, is there something you can clearly distinguish here that is, that is the real challenge where the sort of depression and anxiety comes from? And, and I feel like we, we will often mask these things with the, and, I, and I, I think there is a place for the medication. I don't want to make it sound like that's not a thing. I think that's a very important thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. When you start thinking really dark thoughts, don't let it go any further. You know, right. but yeah. like what you guys are are doing here is allowing people to basically walk in off the street and talk to a counselor, and that's a that's something that just like excited me you know, mm-hmm. to to hear that this was going yeah. on. Yeah, and I do want to be careful with the word counselor. Okay. We're so, health coaches. Sorry, that's sorry. Speakeasy. Yeah, I mean there is there is definitely a time and a place for medication, and I think it's really overused right now, and it's a lot of just unmanaged stress Mm -hmm. that leads to anxiety, which leads to chronic illness. Um, And it's because we're not really encouraged or supported in tending to our bodies and minds and spirits Mm -hmm. and giving them what they need to feel healthy and balanced. We live in a culture of chronic productivity. And like, if you're not busy all the time, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And you're not successful. And that's a, those are really, really damaging messages. And so just this whole idea around really actually taking care of yourself, not self-care as a hashtag where you have to spend $200 on a rose petal bath to <laughs> fit into the self-care <laughs> right. trend. Um, it's really about the day-to-day stuff and how you are thinking about yourself and treating yourself and that perception and the beliefs that you carry and how they're affecting you and whether you're aware of them or not and then what you do about it when you become aware. And and that internal dialogue and and the the relationship with self. I think Mm -hmm. that's the one thing is people have a hard time sort of understanding sometimes that that that's that's the primary part, and and if and 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 it's not even something that we're used to even talking about. It, in, in the past, this was considered selfish behavior to think about the state of your own well-being or mm-hmm. the state your current state. Mm-hmm. And I think that's starting to change. I mean, I, I, I at least I'm hoping there's there's some shift going on in that. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is, and we have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, but it's absolutely not selfish. It's detrimental to not. I mean, maybe by definition, focusing on yourself is selfish, but mm-hmm. that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary. And, and, and what you were talking about earlier, I, I think you're being, having been in body work, I, I think I'm sure you've, in, in working in hospice, I'm sure you see the physical effects mm-hmm. of what these stresses are and, and what a spiral it can become. I mean, because depression, we think about depression as being a, a purely mental state. Mm-hmm. But when the when the body starts going through a, a you know physical struggle, 
it's th- that is that is a depressed system. That is a, a nervous system and a you know all, whatever system is is going you know out of control or, or you know is being challenged is actually in a depressed state, and that starts to you know change your whole mindset. It changes your you know neurochemical you know balance and. And so we're not always just talking about like, and this this is this is why I'm kind of interested. I'm sorry I said counselor earlier because no, I, okay. I I know it's it's yeah. health coaching, and I and I and I love this idea of 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 thinking about things from that perspective because what you're talking about is whole whole person stuff. Mm-hmm. That is the essence of health coaching. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think there are also health coaches who are not trained to the level that you are, yes. and so some of the some of that is getting sort of bad press, but. You know, from from my perspective, I think we have this. We're, we're in this place right now where patients or clients, whatever you want to call the people who come work with us, are having to advocate for themselves. You know, in the in a within health systems, or even just on their own, if they're not having you know success through even even with you know integrative or alternative health people, they're they're making all these decisions on their own, and, and you know. I mean, there there are people in my field who are not directing very well sometimes because they're in private practice and they're just trying to keep you know money coming into their practice. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with health systems, mm-hmm. you know. So and it's unbelievably <clears throat> overwhelming. Yeah, and yeah. we've been trained to be very dependent on the providers and or medications that they're uh, prescribing, rather than really taking a step back and looking at the whole picture and. Doing some, you know, determining for ourselves what we need, yeah. um, and so it does require some support to really tap into that inner wisdom and feel empowered enough to make those decisions for yourself. Because we've been very well trained not to. So tell me about your process as, as you were. You know, I, I take it your twenties were really where you had to start kind of going back, sorting sorting through everything. Yeah, I mean, kind of. It took me a while. <laughs> so, I mean, I, we're, we're never done. But yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I no, mean, I am still very much on the journey. <laughs> but I'm in a very different place than I was even in my twenties. Right. Um, you know, even though I did a lot of, I did therapy on and off. Of, you know, I was kind of a bouncer to different therapists because yeah. I found the whole experience really scary to reveal that much of yourself mm-hmm. to one person. Um, and I took antidepressants and anti-anxieties, I think, starting at 14 all the way up until early 30s. Um, and in my late teens, early 20s, probably up until about 26, just lacking daily coping skills, I was a binge drinker mm-hmm. and that's how I dealt with it. And it was not pretty. Plus, plus antidepressants. <laughs> plus antidepressants, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and some Which is very common. And, yeah. Yeah. And it just, um, it was really unhealthy and it was really unhelpful. Yeah. I would drink, you know, part of it was social. That's yeah. what a mm-hmm. lot of people in their early 20s in college do. Yes. And I had this desperation to fit in yeah. and would have done just about anything. And it was an unhealthy coping mechanism mm-hmm. because when that alcohol hits, it just kind of shuts off that whole 
stress response yeah. very temporarily because then the next day it's like back times 10 or sometimes 100 yeah. depending on how much you drank the night before. And that, and that numbing out that people do with mm-hmm. you know alcohol, pot, or food, I mean, that's the one thing people don't realize is that there is a... There is an interaction that happens when people get into the binge, you know, food stuff. I've, yes. I've, I just did a recent podcast about binge, binge eating. And so, uh, and there are things about it that I never really thought about. I've, I mean, I've had minor binge eating <laughs> periods, mm-hmm. but more, more so when I was younger. And, and, and it kind of brought back stuff for me about how I used food at, at that point. Yeah. So, but. Yeah. Well, and our, our food industry has done a really good job of <laughs> designing foods that are highly addictive. Yeah, yeah. And so it really feeds that, that pleasure center in your brain that makes you feel better for a minute. Yeah. You know, until you come down from the sugar high or you're super bloated from all the salt or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of ways to, to numb out and a lot of us do it. So, so, so what tools did you finally? So that, yeah, that's, I, so when I was 26, I quit drinking and I went to AA for a while. Okay. Um, I did ultimately determine that I was not an alcoholic, but definitely using alcohol as a, a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So still stayed away from it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was before the coaching program that I really kind of started diving into food and my, the f- effects of food on my body mm. and then also physical activity. Yeah. And I just through really paying attention to what I was eating and doing some elimination of different things, I discovered there are certain foods that make my brain and my body very, very unhappy. And mm. so I just stay away from them the best that I can. I Wh- am which human. ones? Which ones for you? <laughs> Gluten, dairy, and sugar. Okay. Dairy is the hardest one for me because I love cheese yeah. so much. <laughs> but I can eat goat cheese without without any problem. Okay. So I do try to just stick to that. Yep. Um, I, I try to do really, really stay away from gluten because that just, my gut gets really upset and yeah. it's really uncomfortable and painful if I eat gluten. So staying away from that's a big deal. Yeah. And then sugar is really more of a mental health thing. Um, I it can definitely ramp up my anxiety or even just feelings of depression if I consume too much of it. I would be lying if I said that I never had sugar. I love chocolate. So I just do it responsibly and Mm. in moderation and also accepting that there might be some consequences. Right. And preparing myself for that. Yeah. It's the surges and crashes that go on. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't realize. And again, this is, you know, this is all neurochemical, but you know, d- depression happens in the brain and, and and neurochemically this way. And so, when you have those things happen, the, the the more the more responsible you can be with those things. I mean, I I find that I can get away with it more on weekends, mm-hmm. and and because I kind of ha- there's like almost a recovery time built in <laughs> or when I, when I have my breaks, yeah, and I can just kind of you know relax through it. Whereas if it's in the middle of my workday and I like you know go crazy with like coffee and some sweets. I, I end up feeling just ho- miserable by the afternoon or something. Yeah, you know, it's so. quite the crash. Yeah, yeah. So those are the main just with food. And would you? And what about what's what? What did you do for exercise? What was the exercise part of it? So I just like started working out. Period. <laughs> Regularly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always been pretty physically active, and I guess athletic in a sense. But I didn't have really a regular exercise routine, especially in in my twenties and through college. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I joined a gym and I started going regularly and I, 
I trained for the Tough Mudder and I did it. Wow. <laughs> Blind with a couple of friends who really, you know, helped guide me. And it was an amazing experience. I would probably never do it again. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I did and, and like that I lived to tell the tale. Yeah. Um, but it was really more the process of, of training for it that really hit home for me the importance of physical activity. Yeah. And for me, it's um, weightlifting. Weightlifting mm. makes a huge difference on my mood. And if I'm feeling particularly anxious, like beast mode at the gym yeah. is the most effective anti-anxiety for me ever. There's an empowering piece to like there is. The, the doing any kind of resistance work like that. You just feel like you, you're, you, it, and I think it kind of like helps you get a sense of your center in, in a way that some things don't. Yep. Yeah, and you know, for another person, that might be yoga or yeah, swimming right. or yeah. gentle flow cardio of some sort. Like how our bodies respond to physical activity is really unique, mm-hmm. and that I found that like moderate to heavy lifting is really my my area of um, healing. My body loves it. <laughs> so after you get through your program, how, where do you where do you kind of move into this career, and what, what, what's the start of that? With coaching? With coaching, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and the, just to back up a little bit, the coaching program added a couple more components to just like the whole self-care and oh, yeah, being yeah. on the well-being path. And that was um, just mindfulness and awareness of my thoughts and beliefs and then also spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And they're like those four components, the nutrition, the exercise, mindfulness, and spirituality are really the foundation for me. And I can't say one is more important than the other. Yeah. They all kind of have to happen um, and come together in this nice little marriage for me. Yeah. And the unique thing about health coaching is we really meet people where they're at and it's your blend of what's right for you is going to be different than what mine is. And I don't come into anything assuming I have a half a clue on what's going to work for you. I help walk you through a process of discovering what that is. For you, what was the spiritual component or what did you build through the program? Um, Through the program, it was just an, an awareness of spirituality getting to be kind of whatever I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be attached to a religion or a dogma or a specific type of practice. Mm-hmm. And so for me, at, in the beginning, it was really just like being out in nature made me feel really connected to something bigger. Mm-hmm. And that felt good. Yeah. And it just kind of fed this sense of empowerment and um, strength. And like there was some kind of foundation to stand on. And also that there really was a purpose for me in this world, even if I wasn't quite sure what it was mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, And that's grown into, um, I've been studying shamanism mm-hmm. and just kind of tapping into spirituality that way. I don't think of myself at this point as a shaman or I don't know that I plan to become a shamanic practitioner or um, do shamanic healings as a profession or anything like that. But just having that spiritual base and foundation for myself mm-hmm. creates this um, just element of health and balance and well-being for me. And I, I believe it helps me be a better coach mm-hmm. and just has strengthened my intuition and ability to connect with people on kind of a higher level. 
What, what is it about shamanism that that you connected to, or can can you can you, yeah. can you give us a, a like a? a I'm, I'm just learning more about it myself yeah. through some clients that I'm working with. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I took a class called the Foundations of Shamanism okay. through the Center for Spirituality and Healing, yeah. and I did it because I was interested in shamanism and I got 30 continuing education credits okay. for my health coaching <laughs> certification. So win-win. <laughs> um, and I had to read like nine books before and the in, the in-class portion of it was four days out in the woods camping. Um, and then the teachings were in this lodge and in a teepee mm-hmm. and um, the books just blew my mind. And I don't know for sure if I can pinpoint what it was, but it just kind of opened up my world to a different way of viewing things. And I think some of it also was just like the power of ritual and ceremony and community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something we're really lacking in our society. Yeah. Um, and especially that community piece. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's not, it's really true that it takes a village, not just to raise a child, but like for all things, we need each other. That's a good reminder. And yeah. we are very isolated and hell-bent on independence Mm -hmm. in our culture. And it's, I think, creating a lot of damage. So I really think it was about the community and the ritual and the ceremony. And in this class, we did a um, um, ceremony at the end of just kind of releasing negative beliefs. And that it just felt really powerful to me. And it's just a way of approaching things um, that was different and it felt helpful. Mm-hmm. Like it actually did make a difference for me. Yeah. And so I kind of dove in and started doing some additional training. And what keeps me in is the community that I've built and the relationships that I've built within the training. Yeah. And also just like a new level of understanding about how we operate and mm-hmm. that there's kind of the we have our part of ourselves that's like the personality and that's the social self that we put out to the whole world. And then we've got kind of our essential soul self and that's really about who we are and our, our purpose in this yeah. life yeah. and how they can kind of be in conflict a lot, yeah, you know, yeah. like our personality and our essential self. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of our stress is, is that conflict. So having a different way of understanding that I think has helped guide some of the questions that I ask as a coach, I'm not doing shamanic healing on people right. as a coach, um, but just having an understanding of that conflict, that inner conflict that a lot of us have mm-hmm. has helped guide the way that I coach people. Yeah, I can see that. Let's go, let's go back to the, the start of this career now. So mm-hmm. you, so you, especially with you starting to realize that community and nature are an important part of where you find spirituality or, you know, where you're, where you're finding your balance or your interconnectedness to things, especially in the process of going blind as a teenager, I'm sure there's like a huge cultural disconnect that must yes. go on for you. Yeah. I mean, we all go through it, I think, as teenagers too. So it can be, but I think the extreme that you that you must have gone through at that point, and then and then you know trying to find the 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 uh, connectedness back to you know a broader culture because I'm sure you end up a little more narrow in the way that you interact with people or is that not necessarily true? Probably in younger years. Younger years? Yes. Yeah. But I really was able to step out of that. And I think there's still some guards up, Yeah. you know, yeah. even in adulthood. But Yeah. I have yeah. them naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all do. <laughs> I, I find, you know, like I, I one-on-one work for me 
was always unnatural. Like I, I love going deep with one other person. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm like a serial monogamist for that same reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like, and even in my friendships, like I, I have broad groups of uh, friends. Actually, I mean, I, I feel blessed. I have a lot of friends, but the people who I who I let in in really closely, I kind of keep fairly narrow. Yeah, I feel. it's a hand. It's a small group that yeah. are really know the whole deal here. Yeah, right. You know, and know right. really know me. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely much prefer one-on-one connections. And that's something that I really need to work on and get over as a coach because there is this whole aspect of group coaching that's also really powerful Mm. and it intimidates me Mm -hmm. because I just really feel like I do better. I think I'm, I think I'm working on the same thing right now. I think the podcast is part of that and starting to get asked to do some, some speaking and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and liking it. Like I've, I've done it many times, but just, you know, over the last few years, I'm starting to do it more with like students at Northwestern and they really connect in, in some way with, you know, the, both my career. And I think it's, it's funny how having a podcast also gives them some time to spend with you. Mm-hmm. And then and then they realize, oh, there's more going on, more more possibility going on, especially for someone just starting a, a career in you know acupuncture, body work, or chiropractic. Yeah. It's a it's it's an important thing to understand that I can build this into whatever I want to, you know. And so I I've, I'm starting to really love that. It's almost kind of like a mentoring type of thing, mm-hmm. and also it doesn't feel like there's any pressure <laughs> for me, right? Anyways, you yeah. Know? So. Yeah. So, so what, what is what is the group counseling stuff that group do, coaching group, oh, God, doing this. <laughs> group coaching that, yeah. that that you are, have been involved with or? Um, so I did some advanced some training through the Center for Mind Body Medicine, and it's all about this tech, group technique called mind body skills. And so it's a anywhere from an eight to twelve week course that or group that people are involved in and each week you focus on a different kind of tool or skill in the mind body arena. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the majority of the type of group coaching that I've done. And I did all of that within my first job right out Mm. of school. And then I've also done some like more nutrition based, they were a little bit more educational than they were coaching. Um, but you know, group coaching can be very similar to one-on-one coaching where it's a lot of those deeper questions, but each person in the room has the opportunity to respond and engage. And then we all have the opportunity to learn from each other. And what you find happening is that people can relate and that just creates this sense of connection, which leads to feeling supported, Mm -hmm. which is a really important part of healing as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, having having a safe group, I think, can be like the beginning of of allowing yourself to be out in the world and feel more interconnected. Yes, I've i found that you know, the cranio the craniosacral coursework ends up being not a large group, you know, but a big enough group. A lot of times, twenty or so people. Some in in some situations smaller, maybe some more like twelve. But it's still like it's 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 enough people, and you also go through intense stuff together. And I think mm-hmm. that's 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 another one of those things is being able to be vulnerable with a with a group of people like that. It's an important thing to learn. Yeah, that it like we definitely as a collective maybe avoid vulnerability a little bit. 
just, just a little. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm guilty of that as well. And yeah. part of, even in thinking about the, doing this podcast, I'm like, how much of my personal stuff do I share here? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, Leah, you're in a profession where you're asking people to be brave and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So spill it. Yeah. You know, share the story. It was interesting, you know, for me to come in and you guys invited me to come in and do a and do a counseling session, sorry, a coaching session with, <laughs> with with someone here with uh Ann. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was, you know, I've 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 had quite a bit of therapy and and done a lot of talk therapy work with people and lots of different kinds. Um, and it's part of craniosacral work. There's there's an aspect of it that's actually a lot of dialoguing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it gets to a certain level, if things come up for you, images come up for you, if it's like something very strong you're feeling in your body, you can kind of work with these things. Um, so I, I I was really kind of blown away at how good she was at directing that that session with me. And it really made me even more excited about what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that that this this kind of coaching model you know is is finding finding a place and and your connectedness to so can you explain a little bit too how the how the how you guys are connected with Hennepin County Medical Center and and the, how this developed yeah yeah so speakeasy i don't even know if we've said speakeasy yet yeah. is the organization that i'm or business that i'm a part of and so right now we are part of Hennepin Health Services and we're part of Hennepin Health through Upstream Health Innovations, which is a small division okay. of Hennepin Health. And Upstream is responsible for identifying gaps in our health healthcare system mm-hmm. and um, addressing health equity. And so there's a number of different projects and programs that have come out of Upstream, Speakeasy being one of them. So there was a good eight months of research and development that happened around speakeasy becoming a thing before it became a thing. Mm. Um, and it was primarily one woman, who Stacy, who is a human-centered designer. Yeah. And then she also brought in a graphic designer, um, Hardy, a little later on. And he really helped with kind of developing our our vibe and yeah. our look yeah. and what we put out to the visual world. Yeah. And, um, but in, in this research, what was identified around just kind of mental and emotional health is that there's a lot of barriers to getting support and there's a lot of stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a number of people that while they know they maybe could benefit from therapy or talking to a professional, they're not willing to deal with the barriers out there and or the the stigma or the beliefs around what it means to go talk to a therapist is yeah. just too much and yeah. they don't want to deal with it. And there was some people that said, you know, I wish there was something before therapy or between therapy or something along those oh, lines. And um, also the other barrier being that there's there's often wait lists. And so the thing that brought you to finally reach out might be over by the time you actually have your session. Yeah. And so that's why this low barrier in the, in the moment model was created. And the reason they decided to see what it would look like to have it be health coaching rather than therapy was to see if that would even make it less of a barrier. Like it's more okay to go see a coach. 
Um, I think that's kind of amazing too. And, and it is, since I've made the, the mistake a number of times here, <laughs> how we, you know, the terminology, the, the language itself sometimes becomes the barrier to you getting care. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I, I even see it in like orthopedic fields. I've done a lot of work in orthopedic fields and I feel like it's the same thing. Like once you tell someone, you know, I think you should really go see an orthopedic surgeon and get it's evaluated, the, the word surgeon immediately turns people off. Even though I'm finding more and more orthopedic surgeons are getting really good about trying to figure out how to not put them into the operating room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. things things change, but the language is sort of hard to, to shift. It is. And I don't want to contribute to the perception of therapy being a bad thing or, or only for sick people. Like what we do right. here is health coaching, yeah. but that that doesn't mean in any way we believe that therapy is bad or not valuable or that we can do the same things therapists do because we can't. Coaching yeah. and therapy are different and there's overlaps. So so explain that. I want to understand that distinction in terms of, is, is there a point at which you, you guys would, you know, become a front line for something and then figure out when there's a time to yes, do a handoff? Absolutely. Yep. Um, so I would say the main, to make keep it really, really simple is like, Health coaches, we don't work with active addictions. We don't diagnose mental health or mental illness or Mm -hmm. we don't give mental health diagnoses. And we don't work with people on processing past trauma. It's Mm. very much in the here and now, presence-based, what's going on right now, getting a picture of where you want to be and then helping people kind of create that plan of how they want to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's a process. Part of our model to make it low barrier is that there's no commitment. And a lot of therapy models and even some coaching models, you have to sign on for X number of sessions for however long of a period of time. And just that is enough of a barrier for people to just not even start at all. So while we completely understand and believe that true transformation is a process and it does take a commitment, we don't expect that you make a commitment at the forefront because we want you to just give it a try and see if it even helps. And so not having a commitment makes it a little less scary to dip your toes in. And if all you ever do is dip your toes in, that's okay. And if you just want to come when things feel hard, that's okay. Yeah. And if you want to jump in and make a commitment and really dig in and try and make some changes, that's great too. Mm-hmm. We're here to meet people wherever they're at yeah. and kind of follow their lead on how how deep they want to go or if they just want to keep it more of a I'm freaking out right now. I need you to help me bring it down a notch. Give yeah. me a couple tools that I can walk out of here with yep. and... So that's what we do. So to, what what are people coming to use you for right now? What's the what's the most common use for you guys? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of stress, career-related stress or family-related stress, mm-hmm. um, relationships and breakups. Um, Any medical-related stresses, like when they're having to, like, go through a medical challenge? I have... I've not seen anybody yet okay. with a specific medical. Um, well, that's not true. I think I've I've talked with one person that that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure as far as the other coaches. You know, everything's confidential in your session, so we don't like gather around the coffee pot and talk about <laughs> right, <laughs> what everybody right. shared and yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. But you know, I would say the most common thing is just stress and inner critic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just people feeling not not good enough or not successful enough or not in the place where they feel like they should be for their their age or status or whatever, yeah. and just the stress that that causes. Yeah. It was interesting when I came because I had something very specific going on at the time, and it was... it. And, and I was, and I just knowing what you guys do, I I thought I want to, I want something that's like right now as much as possible, mm-hmm. and and it and it and it was interesting to do it that way rather than different things that I've done in the past where we've sort of like tried to you know tie the threads together between you know my childhood and my teenagers mm-hmm. <laughs> and my twenties or whatever. I I thought this was like such an amazing you know moment for me to say. You know, just it, it felt like right on the surface, it, it felt less hard. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like I, it, sometimes that you go through it and you, you think you're going to, you know, or sometimes you go into sessions, you have no idea what you're going to end up talking about because, you know, it could, it could, you know, go in any direction. But in this situation, I felt like I had the ability to kind of control that part for myself. And so me directing it felt really good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was, it was really cool. Yeah. I, people tend to really enjoy being the the expert on their own journey and like being in the driver's seat yeah. and not being told what to do or how how to do it or what they should think and just being challenged to you know what do you think yeah. where where do you want to go with this yeah. let's let's lay out all of your options that only you know because you're living your life yeah. and which one feels right to you yeah and just kind of walking through that process together. And and I, f- I felt like all Anne, I mean, Anne directed it really well, but what she did at the end was basically, you know, tied something together that I said that, that where I was looking for a, a direction to take something or for a, a, a tool of some sort. And it, I had already said it, but, and it was so obvious, <laughs> which is often the case, right? I just, I just didn't put it into words, and mm-hmm. so she just put it, helped me put it into words for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like from what you're saying, this. You know, I heard you say this thing, and I was sort of like knocking my head, like, duh, like that is the that's the obvious answer. But yeah, yeah. It, <clears throat> and sometimes it just takes that 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 safe space to process it out loud and have somebody that's listening really, really deeply mm-hmm. to be able to re- reflect back the things that you said. Cause yeah. then all these light bulbs go off. Like I had that answer all along. I just had so much resistance around it or so much fear or whatever it is that was preventing you from seeing the answer. Yeah. So just kind of having that neutral person in the room with you, that's meeting you right there and not judging and just listening and reflecting and asking really powerful questions. Yeah. It's it's remarkable the things that can come out of that. Yeah. And and last time I was here you guys were uh, you were telling me a little bit about how you you kind of want to set up outposts too that you know besides you, you I mean you're in a downtown location right next to HCMC which is which can be I'm sure beneficial in terms of relationship but that these these could be anywhere and yes and, and, and pop- we've actually already popped up in I saw, two new locations I saw. so we have um, Anne is over at Modern Well okay. a co-working space in I think it's technically St. Louis Park, maybe yeah, South yeah. Minneapolis. Um, but so she's there on Mondays and, you know, reaching out to the co-working community, mm. but then also just people in that location. Maybe that's more convenient than trying to come 
downtown. Yeah. And then we also have one of our other coaches, Brittany, over at Impact Hub right off of the U of M campus. Yeah, I thought that was a great location. Yes, yeah. our hope is to, we just got started there and our hope is to really reach out to the student population Yeah. Um, because college is, it's a rapidly changing and really stressful time. Yeah. And you're at this age where like your brain is still developing. You're still trying to figure out who you are. You're going to school and taking these intense classes and maybe don't have a whole lot of coping skills yet because you just haven't learned them yet. Yeah. And it's, it could be pretty cool and, to and, and get some coaching in there. Yeah, and, and and your fee structure, I think, is important. And I wanted you to just you know talk about that for a second too, because I think that is that is the other barrier for a lot of people. And you it guys is. have made it really easy. Yeah, so it's sixty dollars for a forty minute session, and then we have a student rate of forty five dollars, yeah. and then we also do offer a sliding fee scale. And it's a pretty simple process to get you know, signed up for the sliding fee scale. Okay. There's not this huge, like all kinds of paperwork, submitting your financial records, that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Right. You know, we just really honor your honesty yeah. and telling us where you're at and what you can afford. And the, the lowest rate on the sliding fee scale is $30. Yeah. Um, I wish we could do it for free. But we do have to be able to pay, you know, rent yeah. <laughs> and the bills that keep the business open. Yeah. So, but maybe someday some giant, you know, influencer will pick this up and it is something that could be offered for free in businesses or something. Right. You know, there's always that room for partnerships with other businesses or other organizations that already exist that care about their employees or the people that are there and want to offer this as a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I think it's great. And I, I'm hoping to be any kind of influencer I can be in your process. And I, I, I think, you know, there may, there may be even someone listening who realizes they have a, they have a space, you know, connected to something that you could use and even 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 that alone, I mean, just having having space sometimes is is the first step. Absolutely, even one day, even a few hours can be like a, a great first step for you guys. So yeah, because even just popping up in different locations around the city just brings it to be that much more accessible for yeah. people. And your model, because I think this is the other thing that I really want to push out there a little bit uh, in terms of the podcast is that I think this is a this is an incredible model for what could go on in terms of normalizing mental health care. Yes. And and having having it, you know, be something that's like safe and easy and on the spot. Mm-hmm. Just like you would, you know, stop at a fast food restaurant to grab something. Right. <laughs> you know, and the original model when we you know, when Stacy was envisioning this and really rolling it out was to be um a retail space. And I think that's, you know, that's still definitely our goal down mm-hmm. the road. Retail is a little bit, you know, it takes a lot more money to get into that space and we will get there. Like I really believe that this is something that's going to take off and the big picture that was there originally will materialize. It just takes time. But it's like this retail space next to or within a coffee shop and that like going to talk to somebody about your emotional well-being is as normal and easy as getting a cup of coffee. Yeah. Like that is our mission is to make it that normal yeah. and that simple and that acceptable that like it'd be totally okay for me to say to my friend I'm going to speak easy it would be no different than saying I'm going to Starbucks. Yes. You know. 
So that's awesome. That's yeah, so I think it's going to be really cool as we continue to grow. Well, thank you, thank you for taking the time to do this with me. Thank you. And, and this is fun. <laughs> and sharing your story, which I know there's, you know, there's some hard parts in there, and I think I think people will get a lot out of out of your experience too, and and even even understanding this new sort of growing field that's going on that we might inspire someone who's, you know, thinking about you know going down this path and, and unsure whether they want to go into social work or psych or something that this might be another another avenue people want to explore. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Liam Martinson, folks. This conversation reminded me that there are heroes all around us. And Leah, in my opinion, is doing some truly heroic work, like so many in frontline healthcare. It's a shame when insurance and funding gets in the way of this work, and it saddens me to inform you that right before the release of this episode, Hennepin Health Systems cut funding and is eliminating Upstream Health Innovations, the subsidiary that's bringing you Speakeasy Care. So Speakeasy will be on hiatus immediately, but is already working hard to figure out how to reiterate, possibly having to rebrand so that they can continue to develop this important mission and model of health coaching and resource. I've included a message from Leah here in the show notes so you can still reach her, and I'll continue to keep you up to speed on the development of this project here on the podcast. Uh, their, their website is still up if you'd like to check it out. It is speakeasycare.com. And I'll be reaching out to my connections to see what I can do to help ensure this project continues. And if you any, have anybody that you know who can help or would like to be involved in saving this project here in the Twin Cities, please contact me directly at jeremy at highwaydehealthpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.